I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casello. With me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy. Ooh, what are we having this for this week? Happy Bill C Day. Ha- happy Bill C Day. Happy 2020 Commit Day slash yeah. week. Happy NBA Finals week. Lots, lots of fun things in and around the Cuse realm. Yeah, Toronto's around the Cuse realm. Yeah, people tell us that all the time. We can claim it. We're in Canada. It's fine. Uh, just, I mean, is Malachi still on that team, technically? Or is he... Uh, no, he got released, unfortunately. Okay. Well, he got traded to the, he got traded the 76ers, and then he got released. Oh, okay. I remember this now. Yeah, that wasn't great. Um, yeah, you know what? This is a Syracuse podcast, but before we go in, Dan, quick... Quick gut reaction on on the NBA Finals, who's going to win, and uh, and anything else you might want to note. Uh, much to your chagrin, I'm taking the Warriors. I'll say I'm actually going to go Warriors in five, maybe Ooh. six. Yeah, I love Kawhi. I just looking at the two rosters, like the Raptors have been playing awesome. They're a good defensive team. I think they'll challenge the Warriors. You know, in most of these games, but. I just the Warriors are playing so well without Kevin Durant. If Kevin Durant comes back, um, it it you know adds a, a wrinkle, I guess, for both sides. But I just think they're they're the far superior team. Yeah, I mean they definitely are, and 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 you know my worst nightmare of seeing them become somehow a better team without Durant, um, or at least a a different type of team without Durant, uh, one that's more recognizable to the people that really don't enjoy them. Um, I thought Milwaukee at one point was more suited to handle them, but I actually think Toronto kind of acquitted themselves there um, and, and showed that they were the better team to handle them of the two um, because I think Milwaukee showed some real flaws that are going to be interesting to see them address this offseason. Uh, we'll see how that roster construction goes. We'll see how some of the game planning goes. I think you know Giannis is a great player, but obviously he was um, he was definitely shut down, and now Kawhi is an all-world defender. Yes, but... Uh, I felt like that was just one of many issues that Toronto exploited from Milwaukee. Uh, I think Toronto. I think Toronto takes it to six. I saw that OG Anobi might end up back, and like while that's not like an earth-shattering addition, um, his return could potentially, you know, really help out Toronto. Um, I think it's going to take a lot for Kawhi to play at the same level, just absolutely like Hall of Fame level. Uh, performance he's put on this play- playoffs uh but 
at the same time, like, you know, Portland tested Golden State pretty much every game. Houston tested Golden State pretty much every game. Um, uh, the Clippers, for the most part, like, tested Golden State. So I think Toronto's got a better shot than either of the last two LeBron-led Cavs teams. But in general, we're, uh, we're probably looking at a three-peat for the Warriors. Yep, and then Durant will leave, and that doesn't necessarily mean that the dynasty ends because it began without him, but it makes things very, very interesting. Yeah, it makes things very interesting because if he leaves, they're already they they're they'd pretty much be at the salary cap ceiling, or at least for the luxury tax, because Clay is going to demand something close to a max deal. Um, Draymond's going to want something close to a max. They're not going to have that space to really add another guy anymore because what allowed them to add Durant originally was that Durant and Steph were willing to take some, some light discounts. And then, uh, you know, Draymond and Clay were still on more manageable contracts. Obviously Steph was still on a more manageable contract initially um, as well because of his early career injury problems. So th- this is going to be a very interesting offseason for them, uh, whether Durant stays or leaves. Obviously if he leaves, uh, I think the Knicks are the favorite. Uh, that says some good things for me, but at the same time, I get more and more panicky about how he's responded to just light criticism in, in his absence on the court um, and how that's going to translate to his dealings with the New York media. Yeah, with, with Durant, like I don't worry about Durant too much if it's like him and whatever random team the Knicks will put around him. I worry if they do the full Durant Kyrie thing, which it doesn't sound, it sounds like it's falling out of favor a little bit. And now Brooklyn might get Kyrie, you might get, I mean, who knows, to anyone, um, which I have mixed feelings about as a Nets fan. But the Durant-Kyrie combo, which has been floated a lot, just would make me super, super nervous. It, like, very high ceiling, super explosive. Um, those are two personalities I don't know that will match well. Like, just a lot of questions. But... Um, <laughs> So That's the next play. The offseason is arguably better than the season. So we'll find Lately. out soon. Lately. Uh, I, I agree. Um, getting us back on track to Syracuse matters. I know that that's what I'm sure half of you have dropped already. But uh, talking about Syracuse, Bill Connolly dropped his uh, you know annual Syracuse preview today. Uh, it was very good once again. It was the most excited I've been to click through, the most optimistic I've been reading it, the most optimistic I was afterward. Um, Bill, for those who haven't read, um, does do these for all 130 teams. Obviously, he's not going to get every single nuance correct, um, but I felt like here he got pretty much everything uh, as well as one could have expected, considering he's not following the team on a day-to-day basis like we are. Uh, I felt like he painted a really great and like realistic picture of what Syracuse was in the late 80s and into the 90s, um, what they fell apart, you know, because of and due to um, in the 2000s and kind of how they've, they've uh, managed to research uh, under Dino Babers. And I think like he, he paints a, a cautiously optimistic picture um, and, and one that hopefully fans can kind of identify with is, you know, this could be a mild like half step back before a full step and a half to two steps forward. Um, next year. And I think that's something obviously you and I have mentioned uh, a couple times since last season ended. Yeah. I think it's always important to remember with these Bill C columns is that he's going off of his numbers and he understands the numbers aren't going to be perfect. They certainly were last, weren't last year where I think we had like a five, one projection of one ten. But at the same time, we've talked about how much turnover luck had an impact on that. How um, just like 
winning these games in little ways, you know, to turn a six or seven win team into a 10 win team. Um, so it wouldn't be crazy for there to be some regression to the mean and us still end up, you know, taking a step forward in the long term. Um, should we only win, you know, seven or eight games? But I think just even with the kind of tempered expectations of S&P Plus not really thinking we were a 10 win team last year, it does seem to think that we've taken at least, like, or, or have, should be taking a pretty legit step forward into like solid bowl teamdom. Um, and not like, it's not like, oh, they won 10 games last year, but that was a fluke. They're going to fall back to like five or six wins. Like it's, Bill says somewhere in here, I have to read it, like read it again. I read it this afternoon when it was dropped. Um, he says somewhere like, it wouldn't, it, you know, if this looks like a, S&P Plus probably says it's like a seven, seven and a half win team. It wouldn't be shocking if all things fall into place that they win 10 games again. And, you know, it wouldn't be terribly shocking if they slid back a little bit from there. But um, definitely like the most positive I think we've, we've had on one of these. And uh, I thought the most interesting stuff was how he diagrammed the improvement of the defense actually outstripping the improvement of the offense. Not that we're, you know, disappointed in the offense by any means, but um, for all of the, uh, you know, fire award stuff of years past, like the defense has taken really, really solid, um, you know, graspable step forward, steps forward every single year, even if they're not like a great unit. Um, and then obviously last year they took a nice jump because of the things like turnovers and, and havoc and, and all these things that we talked about when Bayers got hired as elements of the defense that we looked hoped to get to move forward to get the ball back to the offense quicker. Yeah, I mean, when you look at stuff like success rate and, and explosive plays, like that's stuff that the offense has been able to do in fits and starts. Um, but with Eric Dungy, and this isn't just like Dungy, uh, it hasn't been an efficient group. And you and I talked about this week in and week out for years now uh, that hasn't been an efficient group. I think on defense, while they weren't the most efficient group, uh, they continued to get more efficient. And the fact that they were able to create, as you said, more havoc, um, create more big plays, uh, whether that's, you know, from the defensive line, really picking it up um, and having the best pass rushing season in Syracuse history, uh, which is stunning given the players that have, that have walked through those doors. Uh, the fact that the secondary was much, much improved um, in part because of additions like Andre Sisco, like Trey Williams. Uh, I love the fact that Bill called out uh, Afitu Melifanwu, in there is a guy that we saw, you know, bits and pieces of last year, but he wasn't necessarily a starter by any means. And to see him and Trill uh, get some shout outs in there shows that Bill really, you know, I mean, not surprisingly, uh, you know, did, did, did the reading um, on, on last year's team. I think, you know, offensively, there's there, there's a lot to like. But again, with Dungy, it was always, you know, you'd have a big play, but that would that big play would probably be preceded by, you know, two to three straight like kind of weird plays, maybe one gain seven yards, another like then there were two incompletions and then, you know, some, somehow that set up a 25-yard bomb. Like that's not incredibly efficient, um, but it did work. And I think this year we're going to be looking at an efficient group. And again, this is this is not new territory for us or ter- new territory for even people listening to the podcast um, who, who've heard us talk about for a little while at least. And I know Dino even mentioned it when he was out here in LA uh, that, you know, Tommy's probably, he didn't say Tommy was a better fit for his system, but he said Tommy's a different fit for his system. And I think we can read between the lines on that based on what we know about Baber's system before this and the type of quarterback that Dungy was uh, and, and versus the type of quarterback that Jimmy Garoppolo is and Matt Johnson was at Bowling Green. And now Tommy DeVito is, you know, a, a taller um, kind of, you know, cannon for an arm um, pocket quarterback. Yeah, I mean, and to be fair, like, it makes sense because DeVito is the first real quarterback that he, that he was able to recruit at Syracuse. So 
um, you would hope that he would be the better fit than, than Dungey. And I thought, all things considered, Babers did a really nice job of finding the things that Dungey did well and and making the offense, you know, building the offense around him. Um, one of the things I love that Bill pointed out, which it'd be easy to like, you know, just gloss over. Um, really, a lot of respect for that freshman class we are that is now becoming our sophomore class with Andre Cisco, who he called uh, maybe the best ball hawking safety in FBS. Um, he had, you know, he mentioned Melifonu, like you said. He mentioned Joe Williams. He mentioned Andre Schmidt. He mentioned a couple of the freshman receivers. Like that class, uh, just based on their freshman year, if they keep on moving forward um, and, and taking those steps that we expect from freshmen, like it's going to be something special. And uh, I thought the most interesting note with them is that while like the, the recruiting in terms of the rankings, which he does bake into his formula here, um, hasn't really like, you know, taken off, um, that class could be so good that it could kind of help supplement, you know, what I want to call stagnant recruiting, but recruiting that's not going to like, you know, it's not going to jump off the page if you're not paying attention to the program itself. And by the time they're seniors, maybe the recruiting has started to take that like real incline to where Syracuse uh, builds something a little more sustainable where 10 wins isn't like so infrequent. Yeah, I, I think in general, like what, what helps us the most right now, and Bill points this out too, like is just the ACC is obviously going through a little bit of a, not a rough patch, but just some growing pains. And I think some, I wouldn't call it mediocrity. I think there's just a lot of teams in similar spots. I think it's a natural come down from where they were like being called like the best conference in the country just two right. years ago. And we weren't obviously in the mix there, but like that wasn't going to last um, all that long. Just, I mean, we don't have like the, the total top tier school depth as like the SEC, but like I thought it was very value, uh, valid to say the ACC was probably the best league top to bottom in 2017 2018, I think the struggles were a little bit overblown. They were definitely there compared to the year before, but it's not crazy to think that, like, yeah, okay, they, they weren't going to stay where, like, you know, nine or ten teams were having their best possible season or, like, close to their best possible season at once. Right, yeah, and I, I think that, like, if you look at what the other programs look like, where we're at developmentally, I think, like, a lot of teams return – a lot of teams return similar amounts of talent, but I think we return talent in the right places. I think Tommy DeVito getting experience last year is – is great. I think the fact that, you know, we have, we have returning experience on the offensive line um, and, and, and more so than, than it might, than it might look like. I think our returning starts are still like, they're, they're not amazing, but they're better than most teams that are replacing three starters from the year before. And like Pitt is, 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 you know, hitting reset on four or five positions and, and they are actually hitting restart and, combining that with Kenny Pickett always being kind of average um, despite his savior status at the initial, uh, you know, time he was hitting the field for Pitt and adding to that as well, their top two uh, rushers gone. Like Pitt's a team that, that I think, you know, could take real major steps back uh, while I think we, and this is not like just a Homer opinion. I, I hope, uh, we, on the other hand, I think are well situated in the fact that like we have an offensive system, we have a lot of uh, returning talent at receiver, we have a lot of returning talent at running back, um, and then the line, again, is more experienced than it may seem. I It's not just to compare us to Pitt, but I do like where we're at. I think that I, I've, I've said before that I think SU's ceiling in terms of like raw recruiting rankings is probably 35 to 40 but that's fine if you're getting the right guys and you're winning some some key battles and getting a couple, I'd say like three to five, four stars in there. 
Um, you're, you're not going to be getting, you're going to be raking in five stars. You're not going to be, you know, suddenly among the top 20, you know, teams in recruiting like TCU when they were coming up, you know, still is like barely cracking the top 25 or so. Um, and that's something that's probably not going to change anytime soon. So I think for Syracuse, like if you set reasonable expectations that, that SU is probably going to, probably isn't going to jump more than 10 spots or so in recruiting over the next few years. But if they're great fits for this system, that's not necessarily going to matter as much. And that's why you hire someone like Dino who can help kind of get past that dynamic. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a good, that's a good like approximation for where we should be aiming. I mean, that's where you'll find like your Oklahoma States. You'll find, like you said, TCU, they're probably a little higher now, but they're right around that range. West Virginia, even like a Wisconsin who wins 11 games every year, seemingly like those teams don't really recruit higher than the 30 to 35 range, unless it's like a one year blip or they happen to get a five star in their backyard. They wouldn't normally get. And if you can get into the mix in the 35 to 45 range and you're there most years and you're competing for like a couple game changing players and, and filling out with quality three stars that you've evaluated well, um, I'm totally fine with Syracuse uh, cruising in that area because like, there's just our limitations to where odds are we're not going to be signing top 20 classes on a regular basis being a, par- a private school in upstate New York. Um, the ACC doesn't hurt us that much, but it's not like you can't sell the SEC like a Mississippi State does where they have restrictions with the SEC helps them a lot. Um, like they're, they're just there's going to be a, a kind of not a, not a total ceiling, a hard ceiling, but like a soft ceiling on how high a Syracuse class can get. Um, but you want to start like getting into like the the uh, the upper echelons of that of that area. So we haven't really moved there outside of like a couple classes that have flirted with like top fifty status, and and hopefully we'll we'll make our incremental gains there. And if we keep on competing for you know eight, nine, ten win seasons, like it, I think naturally you're going to see some growth. Oh, of course, and I think if, if anyone is like, I'm not overly concerned about this year's recruiting yet. I know we've only added a few guys. We've pretty much swung and missed on a lot of quarterbacks. I think it seemed like the internet chatter is a little more worried about that than I am, and probably you are. I, I, I understand like the concern to try to get another four-star guy in the door. Like, Not that DeVito is leaving after this year, but he could potentially if he, if he puts in numbers that, that, that warrant you know look from pro scouts. I don't see it, but anything can happen, I suppose. I think what fans are kind of not looking at if they're panicking is that like quarterbacks aren't committing to programs to like wait around anymore. And that makes it harder for, for programs like Syracuse. Like you, you look at how many guys are, and this is not even railing on the transfer, transfer portal. This is just talking about the dynamics that are at play. Like, Freshman quarterbacks are signing with blue chip programs, and if they don't play for one year, they're heading somewhere else um, and and finding ways to get waivers and doing whatever. Like SU was going to struggle in that environment, and I hope that that doesn't hurt Dino's ability to to get passers in the door and things like that. But like, if we're competing for blue chips, like we're going to be competing against that dynamic as well, and and that's worth keeping in mind. I think you know coaches that are that are. Uh, recruiting against us are probably talking one year blip. If you saw like the Athlon quotes from anonymous coaches that I put up on Tuesday, like likely quotes from Dave Dorn, uh, Pat Narduzzi and Steve Adazio, I I would bet um, those three in there, Um, you know, quotes kind of talking about there could be some steps back and like there might be some steps back this year, but as long as they're not super noticeable, it looks like the ball still moving forward overall. Like, 
the back half of this season could see a lot of really nice uh, recruiting wins for SU. And then going into the 2021 cycle, um, you know, we could see even more. So I think everyone self-included is going to have to be a little bit patient um, with recruiting. Uh, obviously we, we ended last year's cycle on a pretty strong note. Uh, and I hope that we can do that again, um, assuming we can win like at least eight games this year. Yeah. And the program I think swings both ways. Like you can lose, you could struggle to hold on to guys who want to play right away, but at the same time, that means there are, there are going to be more and more quarterbacks who are ready to play um, every year. So even if you don't land your four-star guys out of high school, um, and not that you want to like rely on uh, grad transfers, but like even grad transfers might become more rare as regular transfers become more of a thing, especially if they're going to start getting these waivers more frequently, which with the Justin Fields situation and the Tate Martell situation and a couple of the other ones, um, seems like it may be the case unless the NCAA decides to like really cut down on it after a kind of crazy year. Um, but even so, like if you keep yourself looking attractive as a program, even if you don't get these recruits on first swing, when they've been in college for a year and they realize going to the Alabamas and the Ohio States is great if you win the job, but might not be all it's tracked up to be. Uh, Syracuse could then look much more attractive to those guys who aren't any less talented than they were. They just uh, went to a situation where the the tests were were more than they wanted to wait out. Um, obviously, timing is, is is everything with that. But uh, there are quarterbacks who who uh, are available, and if you know if Devito was to leave after one big year, he's probably leaving because it's going to be an NFL draft pick. He's leaving as the second straight quarterback to have great success under Babers. And then that makes you very attractive to high school kids, but also someone who's looking for like to step into a situation where he'll probably start, but also sees now Syracuse as a place where he can get where he wants to go. If like the, you know, Clemson or the Ohio state or wherever um, had a roadblock in place. Oh, completely. And, you know, I think that's the case for us in, in most recruiting situations where we can say, yeah, like still for right now, like, Hey, if you're a blue chip kid, you're going to play right now because it's not to knock the guys on the roster right now. The guys on the roster right now are definite upgrades in general. But I think you can still tell, like, if you're a four-star kid, you're going to compete for a starting job right now. Like, And, and that's why you're probably going to see, like, you know, come fall camp, you're going to start seeing, like, you know, guys like Lee Pogba, guys like uh, Michael Jones, um, Cornelius Nunn, perhaps, like, compete for playing time. We saw it last year, too. Like, guys who were even, like, three stars, like, competing for playing time. Uh, just because if you're at that higher level of, of you know, three-star or, you know, a four-star recruit, like, yeah, you're probably going to be an upgrade. Um, the, the, the only real gap is just going to be, you know, institutional knowledge, system, uh, system knowledge, uh, and just getting, you know, getting acclimated to college. So I, I think that's still a good selling point for us. I know uh, right now we're in on that uh, kid from Ontario, uh, Christian Velo. If that's how, I'm pretty sure that's how you pronounce his name. But yeah, he's considering between 2020 and 2021, we see him as a 2020 kid. Um, so if I think we have an advantage, if we have him classify for 2020 or if he does classify for 2020, because then that virtually sets him up maybe um, to like come in like right after DeVito, um, potentially just sit for a year or two. Um, I don't know how much that would be palatable to him. Um, he's got offers from Ohio State, from a bunch of other big name programs. So maybe he just decides to wait it out, but we'll see. Uh, well, with Ohio State specifically, they are they have really lined up their quarterbacks. Um, right. It's going to be harder with quarterbacks committing earlier. Um, it's going to be harder to like 
jump into one of those programs and make sure you even have a spot. So um, I think the big offers aren't necessarily the ones to be afraid of if you look at some of the situations where, you know, they really only want to take one a, one a, a year. And then when these big uh, when these big transfers pop up too, they're not afraid to take them even if they have to uh, do something unsavory to like the, like the whole uh, situation with Dwan Mathis and Ohio State and Georgia. Like, they're going to take the best kid available, even if they then end up jumping some of their own recruits. So all these things kind of create more of a, a market and a cycle. Um, so I'm not super afraid of like all these quarterbacks bunching up at these programs uh, for the long term. Yeah, I agree there. Uh, why don't we hear a quick word from our sponsor? I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. And then we can hit a little halftime. Dan, it's been a couple weeks. We promise we're going to be back to weekly schedules because we're we're getting into preview season and all that, but um, Dan, what have you been drinking the last couple of weeks? I know you were uh, traveling once again. Yeah, I was in Boston uh, a couple weeks ago, and then I was in uh, the South in South Carolina, and then Northern Florida uh, for a wedding this past weekend. Um, so I just I trimmed my list a little bit. Uh, in Boston, um, I had uh, Harpoons Reckley, which is their session IPA, uh, which I had heard good things about, and was was good, super. Super good for the for the uh, easy drinking throughout the day. Um, I stopped by Trillium, both their main brewery and they have this really cool like little brew pop up in the park, um, like a couple like maybe half a mile away. Um, I think the highlight from them, I had their Gurnet Lighthouse IPA, which is delicious, uh, and then I also had a Toppling Goliath Pseudo Sioux Pale Ale, uh, which is great. And then uh, down south um, in South Carolina, I it's uh, Georgia Brewery. I had Sweetwater's uh, 420 Strain Mango Kush Wheat, which was exactly what you think it tastes like. It was, uh, but the the way they balanced the flavors were super impressive. Um, it was an, it was the most dank beer I think I've ever had, but it also had a really nice mango flavor, uh, and they blended super well. And then uh, also had a Bold City Mad Manatee IPA from down in Jacksonville, which was near where the wedding I was at was. So. Uh, that was a nice one at the at the wedding itself as well. Well done. Um, on my end, uh, Heady Toppers on shelves in LA randomly. So grab myself a four pack of that. Heady's been um, making the rounds recently. It's bizarre. <laughs> yeah, I think they up their distro, and I know Focal Banger was around, but I missed it unfortunately. Um, but yeah, so glad I got to grab some of that. Had a uh, Modern Times uh, MT5 uh, double IPA. Um, I was at uh, Notch's Place down in uh, South Redondo Beach, their uh, annual IPA fest. Had that, had uh, Pizza Port's Jetty IPA while I was there. Um, also had from Three Chiefs in Highland Park, had uh, Fake Names, a triple IPA. Super drinkable triple, which is always a bad idea. Um, but a good one at the same time. Uh, Smog City had a uh, new uh, Keller beer. It was uh, made in California. That was super good. I had down at the brewery last weekend. Um, had from Monkish, uh, Walkman flavor, a double IPA from them, and a pretty drinkable one. 
was up at Boomtown. Um, went to go see the Mets Dodgers game on Monday. So stopped over at Boomtown Brewery over in the Arts District and had oh, a mic check. Yeah, I had the the, the shitty game, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> also stopped at uh, Highland Park's Chinatown Brewery. Had a uh, Think Not their uh, their IPA that they didn't do growler fills for, which was exasperating. Um, had no rest. Uh, the uh, Tristero coffee um, variant that was super super good, and then uh, Highland Park's Pleasant Pills that was just a really delicious uh, Italian style pilsner. Um, I actually felt like when I was in Italy, uh, this is a note for you, Dan, for later in your summer. Uh, the Italians do pilsners really well, and uh, definitely uh, definitely a style that I I wouldn't mind seeing more in America. Yeah, I mean, I think of the Italian beers that make their way over here, it seems like most of them are pilsners, so it makes sense. Drinking all that pasta, you need something light. Yeah. Or eating all that pasta. <laughs> I, was, I, I wasn't going to say anything. You're but... drinking pasta, impressive. I mean, I, I'll, I'll respect I, I the game. I haven't been Italy yet. I, I'm an Italian-American, but my family does not partake in the rich tradition of drinking your pasta. Um, <laughs> we'll see when I go over there. I, I, I wish you good luck. Uh, in other Syracuse news this week, uh, Bayheim's army went from zero players and zero coaches to a coach and four players, um, in a span of about 28 hours. Um, I know Chris McCullough was the first edition. Um, people were joking in the comments that he might play more games for, uh, Bayheim's army than he played for Syracuse, which won't be true, but it could be close. Not this year, um, but if we, if we make some two deep runs in a row, maybe. <laughs> Perhaps. Um, I think it's great to have a, you know, big athletic forward in there. Um, added Michael Benajay, another surprising and younger addition um, that helps keep this team, uh, I think, from like stagnating too much. Benajay is a guy who can handle the ball. He can shoot. Um, he can be a great defender in the zone. I, I think that these are two really solid, you know, additions to some of the previous teams. Then obviously having Brandon Trish, who just came off a really, really strong effort over in Italy. Um, and then Eric Devendorf who I think is kind of like, I think Devo still plays really well, but I think he he's going to serve as like the spiritual captain and like a uh, mascot for Bayheim's army for as long as he can like physically play. I love uh, that he's still doing it even though he's coaching elsewhere now. Yeah. He's coaching elsewhere. He's just like, nah, I'm going to, I'm going to keep doing this. Um, and then yeah, Ryan Blackwell, uh, the former Syracuse forward is back as a coach uh, once again. So there'll be at least a few more additions. I think, uh, we'll see at least like probably three or four more guys um, added to this squad. We'll see which, you know, former orange legends end up. I, I'm sure for a lot of these guys too, um, the prospect of playing in Syracuse for the first couple of rounds um, is definitely appealing. I mean, not to hate on New York or Brooklyn or anything like that, but um, you're going to get a, obviously an even more friendly crowd um, up at SU or well near SU. It's at OCC, I believe. And it's just like, that's where they've been, they trained a, a couple of weeks before. So it's, you know, you're just cutting down on travel, which I don't know how much of an, uh, an impact that's made, but you know, it's still a four hour trip down versus a, you're going to have a, a easy home crowd, um, which usually is the case anyway for the Syracuse team. Uh, but like being, being just a couple miles away from the dome is, is going to be pretty cool. Um, unfortunately, hopefully, you know, some way we get this in the dome. That would be really awesome. I assume with the like the, the money numbers for the the home crowds, they're doing like a uh, a percentage of the ticket sales. I think are going to the winning team. Wichita has to be playing at the Wichita Arena, right? Um, because theirs is astronomically higher than their. I don't sales. I don't know if there is another arena. I mean, I was in Wichita last summer. I don't think there's another arena in Wichita besides that one. 
Yeah, so they're they're playing. I mean, I assume based on like their their money totals like three times the amount of the, of Syracuse's. I assume they're playing at like a D one the D one arena just based on that. Um, which in which case gives me hope that we can eventually do this thing at the dome. Yeah, I feel like SU is going to get a little sketchy about it, but I feel like we can do it. I know. With you. I mean, if Wichita's doing it, why, why not? Yeah, they're an they, AC team. They're almost a power conference team. Wichita's got like a like a pretty nice facility. Like I didn't get to go in because um, it was the off season and all that, and it was closed. But um, yeah, when I like walked around it um, on the outside when I was on campus uh, last summer, it was it looked good. Definitely looked like you know I, I could see in a little bit. Um, definitely seemed like a cool facility. Um, Wichita is a cool city, a cooler city than you would think. Um, and campus is pretty cool too. So yeah, I feel like, you know, that, that team is obviously like the local pro team, um, for the city. So that, that makes, it makes a bigger, it makes a big difference as Syracuse fans can also attest to. Good fans too. In 2013 at the final four, I'd say they had the smallest of the four fan bases, but it wasn't that much below us to be honest. And they were very, very, very loud and engaged uh, for their game against uh, Louisville, which they should have won. Um, well, technically, they did win, or I at least they did not lose. They did lose. Um, <laughs> yeah, at the they were the fourth team in the twenty thirteen Final Four. Louisville, Michigan had clearly the biggest. Louisville had the biggest fan base there. Michigan was not far behind them, but no Michigan fan that I met there seemed like they'd ever watched basketball before, uh, which was uh, fitting. And then they may never like, again, based on how. <laughs> things have um and then we were like a decent step behind them but obviously our fans do watch basketball a lot and then wichita was probably just like a half step below us and part of that's that like you're wichita state and while it's a, a really nice mid-major program like you don't know how often you're going to the final four so i think there was definitely um a real push from their fan base to, to turn out but still like the fact that that a wichita state is uh holding their own in, in terms of fan population with Schools like Syracuse, Michigan, and Louisville is impressive. So uh, they definitely, I, I expect them to to be out there uh, pretty strong for those games out there for the TBT. Oh, completely agree. Um, in other basketball news, um, Woody Newton, power forward from Maryland, picked Syracuse. He's a 2020 guy, four-star. Uh, right now he's the only recruit we can add um, unless we take Buddy Beheim off scholarship, which we probably should and, and will do. Um, to free up at least one more spot, and then you have we'll to do it. The unexpected. Never to it. No, not once. <laughs> he'll pretend like he'll pretend like we haven't done it, and that we're just somehow over the scholarship limit. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, what are you talking about? I would never do that. Like, He's a scholarship player. It's like we know we watched him. We we know very well that he is a scholarship player. <laughs> saved us last year. Just take him off, because you can. It's fine, yeah, Jim. I, yeah, I, I th- think we'll we'll definitely do it. I don't know what like the classification rules are, like if you have to declare it at the beginning of the semester or whatever. Um, but in any case, I uh, I fully expect that to uh, that that to change post haste. Yeah, at the same time, he's not going to make the team worse because he doesn't want Buddy to not pay uh, tuition anyway. So, um, being the son of a forty-plus year employee, um, but yeah, Woody Newton. Uh, nice down the board for 2020. Uh, looks like a, a nice bouncy athlete. What kind of guys that we get before? Um, Super good defender, season. apparently. Yeah, that's that's always a plus. Um, obviously, I don't know how much zone he's played, but the principles are the same in terms of. Well, he, just, he says he's the best defender in the class. I that's him. again. That's it's a, Woody Newton's it's never a, told me a lie. So it's a, it's a jury of one. 
<laughs> he might be a little biased. Might be biased. I'll take a really good defender. Some people I know in the comments were like a little skeptical of his jumper. I I think that's workable. I do think he's a little more polished than some of the like lankier. I mean, he's another lanky four, but I think he he he's more polished than the lankier fours we've brought in. Um, and a couple inches shorter. He's athletic. I I think my one not even a concern. I think my one like just like let's wait and see on this is like if he grows another inch or two. Like then I think he's a much better fit for the four versus like if he doesn't and he sticks around that six eight range, um, he's probably gonna have to put on to make up for it, he's probably gonna have to put on like another twenty to thirty pounds when he gets on campus. He's only hanging around like one ninety right now. Um, I don't see us ever going that small necessarily, where we've got a six eight power forward anymore. I feel like SU kind of left that like that train left the station about a decade ago. Yeah, uh and, and who knows how much like Obviously, defensively, the three and the four are kind of the same thing. Offensively, you know, I think he'll probably have to really prove that jumper to be a, a real option at the three, um, but we'll see. He looks like a really smooth athlete. Um, he doesn't remind me of C.J. Fair, but I think he has some of the same qualities, and also he's from the same area. I think he'll probably draw those comparisons lazily, but, like, game-wise, he doesn't have that same, like, kind of lefty, uh, lefty craftiness, but he does have that kind of smoothness from what I've seen, which is – admittedly, like, the same couple videos everyone's seen. Um, he does, I'm looking at his offers, like, you know, not going to jump off the page, but solid, like, a rock-solid four-star top 100 kid, you know, Arkansas, Georgetown. He's a, He has a, a Maryland offer from a local kid, which is a good sign, I think. Seton Hall, Xavier. So, like, solid prospect. I don't think anyone's going to be complaining about picking him up. Um, and it's just, uh, like, like I said, good down the board. Yeah, I agree. I know I did see some other opinions on Twitter today where they were like mocking the idea that like Jim can't recruit. And I know we were talking about this on Slack a little bit. <laughs> like, A, I never believed that Jim couldn't recruit anymore. I think a couple factors like have just kind of pampered things a little bit lately. Uh, B, Jim hasn't recruited like actively except like as a closer in years. Um, Jim will go to some camps when he wants to make an appearance. And, you know, he's involved in the way that like Head coaches are involved, but the like the, the assistants are the ones who are doing the legwork here. And it was good to see. I think Alan Griffin was the was the lead here. Yeah, Griff was the lead here with Autry playing support. I think it was good to see Griff get on the board um, for the first time in a little bit. Um, in general, I think one of the and, and, and I don't buy into this narrative, but I think a lot of guys have a lot of message board fodder is tossed around that just like there's no closer in terms of recruiters the way that like hop was and continues to be at Washington. Um, so if yeah, Hop was like one of the best recruiters in the country, me, I, I'd argue he is the best recruiter in the country. It remains. So at Washington, like pound for pound, it's hard to not say, I mean, he's, he's gotta be in the, in, in discussion considering what he's done at Washington already. And this isn't to make everyone feel bad that he's not here anymore. It's just like, yeah, when you lose a Mike Hopkins, you're losing a really rare recruiter. That's why he got a big Pac-12 job without ever being a head coach before. And that's why he already got an extension and a raise. And And Two-time coach of the year. Yeah. And he has five stars coming in. Yeah. We knew he was a really good recruiter. That's why he got a job. And that's why it was always going to be hard to keep him until he left. And hopefully we can get him back. Well, I'm just glad he went to Washington and not like BC or some BS. Oh, yeah. He could have gone to BC. He could have gone to – what were some of the other – I mean, he could have really been a pain in like – gone to uh, some of the local schools that we play every year, um, although he wouldn't have been there for long. Um, yeah, no, like, we don't have to bring up the hop thing all the time. But, yeah, like, you're not going to have a hop in your staff after hop leaves because there aren't that many hops. 
Yep. There aren't that many hops. Um, there aren't that many, <laughs> aren't that many five stars. And apparently he's just going to hoard them now. Um, also aren't that many opportunities to play in Canada and hop took advantage of that as well. Um, as a brief note, as we end up our podcast, um, the Naismith classic is headed to Toronto this year. Um, there's a bunch of schools in there that we might be familiar with. Uh, Washington being one of them, Tennessee being the biggest name, uh, Buffalo's in there, Harvard, Rutgers, um, and the Bonnies. Um, so yeah, some familiarity. I don't love seeing Buffalo and Rutgers and Washington in there. Rutgers, we don't really compete with because Rutgers doesn't have a basketball program other than in Maine. Um, but in general, like don't love to see uh, Hop be able to kind of, you know, hang out in, uh, in Ontario and basically continue to, to sell his proposition and not like he's negative recruiting against SU, but um, you know, Ontario until very recently was like kind of an area that like Syracuse just seemed to own. Um, and that's like quickly going away. Um, Mike Waters pointed out that like this year's schedule, it doesn't really allow for that trip on top of the preseason NIT. I would have preferred we go to this instead of the preseason NIT because that field is trash with Penn state, Ole Miss and Oklahoma state. Um, something that if we don't win it is negative value. And if we win provides no value other than like a, but like slight getting in front of New York city recruits. Um, I'm not exactly thrilled about it, but Hopefully next year, if it's still in Toronto, we can uh, we can head up to the Naismith Classic and be the headliner um, in maybe a couple fun games. Who knows? Yeah, the definitely better field. I feel like the NIT has been like really hit or miss lately in terms of the field. Like obviously they're going to take SU because it's a bit drawn. We play in New York every year. We could have played we could have played UConn at the Garden by itself and called it like the whatever whatever classic after the yeah, fact. Yeah, the... like this. So there's, what was the tire classic thing they did? I don't remember. A couple of years ago. Like, there's always someone to sponsor these things. Um, yeah. Should have done that instead because, again, this field is garbage. Yep. Uh, I'm surprised they were able to put together a pretty solid one for this. This is the first year of the Naismith up in Canada, right? Like, I don't remember it. Yeah, Plus, they uh, – well, I think, like, Hoopal is, like – well, like, the Hoopal of Fame is, like, running it. So, like, the same event that we do at Kansas a couple of years ago. Okay. Like, those, yeah, those organizers, like, are also organizing this. That makes sense. Yeah. Insane basic premise. I, I never understood the Miami focus on the, the, the other hoop hall event. So maybe this is, this doesn't, this makes some more sense, I guess. If you're going to have like the Naismith people behind it. Yeah. And they always searching themselves for the ones that are in spring, uh, Springfield. Like that one always is an awful field. Yeah. I, I don't really understand how this all works. <laughs> like Why? <laughs> like why why these events exist why these organizations exist i feel like you know, like, like every like just like the ball games like it, it's like part grift part like let's just see if basketball teams will play in this event i don't mind a, a lot like, like i think the maui's great i think um i actually think the one down uh where is the bahamas or not, not the bahamas the uh Wait, battle for atlantis battle, i think that one's actually been pretty good um considering it's played in like a casino floor yeah, they've gotten um, a really good field in there. Yeah, as long as, like, I, I just think the difference between these and the bowl games are, like, in bowl games, I will watch Ohio versus Toledo um, or whomever. <laughs> in this, I will not watch Ohio versus Toledo. Yeah, in this, I'm not going to – I don't care about Penn State versus, like, College of Charleston. I just – I'm not going to watch that. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. 
Um, you can pay me, especially that time of year. There's still there's still actual college football going on, and like Thanksgiving, <laughs> and like other things that take up my time. Um, so if you have really good fields, I watch Maui like every year because their games are all day and they're usually really compelling matchups. So this is like I, I always like get really annoyed people are like, oh, we need to get fewer bowl games. No, I will take as many bowl games as you want to give me. I'm not going to complain about some Sitzman teams playing. It just doesn't bother me. Uh, for this, like, it just seems unnecessary. If they want to keep on doing it, I don't care. I'm just not going to watch the games I don't care about. Um, but I'd rather have a couple, like, really good tournaments. Well, I don't want to watch, like, because this year the preseason, preseason NIT is during Thanksgiving. So now so now these kids have to miss Thanksgiving with their families. Well, like, SU's players in particular have to miss Thanksgiving with their families so that they can play Ole Miss and Penn State probably. Like at at Barclays, no thanks. And like I'm to be honest, like I'm a Syracuse fan, I'm a Syracuse writer, and I'm not gonna I'm probably not gonna watch those games. <laughs> or at least not not really pay yeah, not really gonna pay much attention. Like I mean they're at Barclays, so it's not like so like for you it's probably a little bit more convenient. For me, like those you know, those game times, it could be like right in dinner hour. I'm seeing family I probably haven't seen in like six, eight months. Like I'm not I'm not stopping my entire evening for that. Yeah. So Hopefully, going forward, we get. I mean, part of it is that we just need to start playing better. Um, like there was a while where we were, we were being put in like really, really good tournaments every year. Um, so hopefully, we get back into that tier. And uh, the, the other problem is like we, we're like a guaranteed sell for New York. It almost feels like they're putting us with like less attractive matchups just because they know like maybe it won't sell out like a Syracuse UConn game will, but at least like they'll get some tickets sold versus, versus like you know Ole Miss Oklahoma State. There's gonna be five people there if that's the first matchup. I would agree. Well, that was our uh, preseason NIT complaining. Um, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Train News Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Megaphone, on Google, on wherever else you listen to podcasts, and go Orange. Go Orange. <laughs>